Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. International News Review. Time for our International News Review. Joining me is Steve Oaken, the Senior Advisor for McClarty Associates, and Niall Bowie, journalist and correspondent with the online news site Asia Times. Gentlemen, good morning. Morning. Good morning, GVZ. Great to have you both on today. And let's start with Malaysia, because, Niall, that has, uh, is one of your specialties. Najib Razak's corruption hearing resumed last week in Malaysia uh, amid speculation that Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin could be prepared to give him some more lenient treatment uh, during those proceedings. What do we know so far based on your reporting uh, of this story? Well, the reason why that, that lenient treatment could be afforded is the fact that Muyadin's Parikatan National Coalition, which is around three months old, uh, and is propped up by, Omno's, uh, by Omno, which is Najib's party, He's still, he still wields influence in the party. Uh, so prior to uh, Najib going back to court, um, charges against Najib's stepson, Riza Aziz, were controversially dropped as well as part of a plea bargain which Malaysia's former attorney general, who had led the prosecutions under the previous government, had described as a sweetheart deal. Um, So it's too early to tell where things are headed next, but I see the situation going one of three ways uh, going forward. So one is that Muhyiddin's government presses on with the corruption trials. Some top Omno leaders have their day in court, and presumably a few of them go to jail, Najib included. That would certainly complicate the political picture for Muhyiddin because how can he keep his coalition together when his partners are being hauled off to prison? Uh, so if Omno plays hardball and cries political persecution, as Najib has done under the previous government, it could pull out of the ruling coalition. Muhyiddin's government can fall and Malaysia will go to elections. So even if that doesn't happen, it's a very risky move for Muhyiddin. Uh, so two, uh, the courts would allow top Omno officials to get sweetheart plea deals on condition that they testify as prosecution witnesses against Najib and essentially under, throw him under the proverbial bus. So we recently learned that uh, Riza had agreed to testify against his stepfather as a prosecution witness. We, we don't know how, what he'll say or how it might impact Najib's case, but the takeaway here is that Najib and possibly others are sentenced and made an example of while the rest are given a pass provided that they surrender their assets, pay fines, and what have you. And this scenario would probably keep Omno and Muhyiddin's coalition, and you have a degree of political stability there. The final uh, scenario, in my view, I think at the the behest of Omno, uh, Muhyiddin uses the levers of government to buy time and slow down the trials from behind the scenes so that there isn't a near-term resolution and his allies stay out of prison. Um, You know, Muhyiddin himself was Najib's deputy and was fired for speaking out against 1MDB. So personally, I think there's no love lost there between the two. But for the stability of his coalition and the future of his premiership, if Omno draws a red line in the sand on these trials, it could be that they are drawn out uh, or resolved through other means. A complicated situation in Malaysia, to be sure. Uh, Talking with Niall Bowie, the correspondent with the online news site Asia Times, and Steve Oaken, senior advisor at McClarty Associates. And Steve, as you hear those three potential uh, options, as Niall has just laid them out for us, uh, what is this going to do for confidence, business confidence uh, in Malaysia? You know, it it has been such a messy year or so uh, for uh, the Kuala Lumpur government. What does this latest possible scenario look like from the business perspective? Well, it couldn't come at a worse time. 
Because what you, you see happening now is that businesses recognize between the U.S.-China trade tensions ramping up uh, to, to almost Cold War status and COVID-19, you have to get your supply chain diversified. You have to get your supply chain not just in one country. And so businesses are looking, do we go to Vietnam as we pull some, if not all, of our operations out of China, but certainly some. Do we go to Vietnam? Do we go to Thailand? Do we go to Indonesia? Do we go to Malaysia? And with this uncertainty, with the questions about what does this mean for rule of law? What does this mean for transparency? What does this mean for stability of government? It weighs against Malaysia, and it's going to hurt them as businesses look uh, to diversify their supply chain. Niall Bowie, you had mentioned, you know, one of the factors likely being considered, and we don't know for a fact, we haven't talked to Muyadin, the current prime minister, but obviously, how does he keep his coalition together? While at the same time, not seeming to totally cave uh, to uh, the requirements of his predecessor, Najib. A uh, very difficult political line, and yet many Malaysians are fed up with this uh, appearance anyway of cronyism and crony government. What does that line look like, uh, and, and could it could it be to his favor, I would say, to go ahead forward with some tough you know, prosecutions here in favor of getting back on the side of, of the, the Rakyat, the rank-and-file Malaysians? Well, I think that's manifested in a couple of interesting ways. And one of them is the fact that uh, Muhyiddin is overseeing a bloated cabinet. I think he has something like 73 or 74 uh, members of his cabinet, much larger than the previous one. And we've seen a lot of controversial appointments of uh, political figures to the heads of GLCs, government-linked companies. So I see this as spreading the largesse around, spreading around the, vo- the spoils of victory, since uh, you know he has had to uh, keep everyone happy since he, he installed this new unelected government after being royally appointed in, uh, in late February, early March. Um, and I think, I think it, it, it does bode well for him if he's able to... Uh, follow through on the pledges to oversee clean government. Um, you know, he has tried to continue some of the, the, the broad themes of the previous government, Pakistan Harapan, uh, uh, sort of acknowledging that the kleptocratic direction is, uh, is not good for the Malays, it's not good for Malaysia. Um, and he has, um, you know, I think demonstrated with, uh, with there, there is a, a Aziz deal recently, I think that that doesn't bode well. Uh, I, I think the fear is that charges could be uh, could be dropped in exchange for sweetheart deals against uh, you know to keep the coalition going. And if that happens, I, I feel um, it would be there would be under tremendous pressure from from rank and file Malaysians, as you said. Yeah, and Steve Oaken, we have you know. In- we have seen political games like this played in many countries around the world and, and the calculations that go behind them. How much do you think that the business environment is a consideration at this point from what you've read and seen about Malaysia? Or is it pretty much you know got to stick to the politics of it just to survive and stay in office for uh, Prime Minister Muhyiddin? Well, I mean, and that's where there appears to be conflict. And I, I you know, highly recommend Niall's, you know, article that just came out on this. Because if you are saying uh, we're going to do what we need to do to stay in power, which gives some political certainty, but then you're going to do so 
with one eye closed and one eye opened when it comes to corruption, when it comes to transparency in in rule of law, then you're a business and you're saying, well, how do we know that this is going to stop with politics, that we're not going to get into a system where we may be asked uh, you know, to, uh, to, to pay bribes or to do things that we should not be doing. And so just by leaving that question open, it is a mark against you because Malaysia is in competition with its neighbors in Southeast Asia for investment. And that is why the, 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 the balance between politics and transparency and certainty and corruption um, is, is one that I hope the government is thinking about as it's going through those options, those three options, three scenarios that Niall put forward. Thanks, Steve. Niall, uh, we're going to move on to some uh, talk about China. So thanks to Niall Bowie, a correspondent with the online news site Asia Times. Appreciate your time today and look forward to talking with you in the future. Thanks, Glenn. And Steve, let's move on to the uh, dozens of Chinese companies now have been added to the U.S. blacklist uh, as a result of uh, the U.S. uh, calling on these companies and saying that they were guilty of doing various things against the Uyghur minority in Xinjiang province. The Commerce Department uh, is trying to crack down on companies whose goods may uh, support Chinese military activities and also to punish Beijing for its treatment of Muslim minorities. This story is a complicated one, uh, but at at the end of the day, it's eight or nine different organizations, entities will potentially suffer from it. What do we know about it? Well, it's it's going to be much broader than those eight or nine, because basically what the U.S. Congress is saying is we don't want companies involved with the treatment of uh, of the Uyghurs in in Xinjiang, and a lot of that it, technology is you know facial recognition, which isn't just used for security purposes. It's used for uh, you know day to day life almost in in using your smartphones um, and going into offices and certainly tracking and tracing when it's going to come to to COVID. So what the Chinese government is doing now, uh, what the U.S. government is doing now, is saying if you are involved directly with technology that can be used um, in Xinjiang uh, to to have some impact. On, on the Uyghur uh, population there, then you are going to, we're going to re, uh, sanction you. And so not only, though, is this going to be those companies, if you're uh, a venture capital investor in Silicon Valley, are you going to invest in Chinese technology companies knowing that you could be putting yourself at risk if this technology could be used uh, for, for the ways the U.S. Congress doesn't want? And so this is just the beginning. It's the, the sanctions on these companies is going to have a, a, a lot of ramifications beyond these specific companies. Yeah, and this comes following uh, the uh, the announcement that um, that Beijing was going to uh, put in a special law, a security law in Hong Kong, uh, and uh, this past week, and that now the U.S. is pushing back on that, saying that it could revoke. Hong Kong's special status under U.S. law. And that, now that would also have far-reaching trade and investment implications, not only for U.S. companies based in Hong Kong, but for others. How does this, the first story dovetail into this story? Because it's, a, again, it's a, a complex situation. Well, that's the question is, uh, the, the big question is, are we headed towards a Cold War between the U.S. 
uh, in China. Uh, we're not there yet, but this is certainly going into that direction. And you ask yourself, are the, is the Chinese government doing things it might not have done otherwise with the U.S. preoccupied uh, with its response uh, to COVID. You know, we're going to hit 100,000 deaths in the United States soon. Uh, you've got 30 plus million people unemployed. You've got no end in sight to the economic harm that's coming and damaging the U.S. Uh, US economy. And you have a presidential election coming up where the economy really matters to President Trump's chances for a second term. So the Chinese have gotten very aggressive uh, maybe thinking that any U.S. response would be less so in this six-month window because what the U.S. does could backfire on the U.S. And the, the changes that could come in Hong Kong in having one country, two systems basically disappear will cause a U.S. response. And that's what we have to watch what happens if, if how the Chinese implement this law and what the U.S. will do in response. But Steve, the, I mean, China needs the U.S. market right now very badly as well as it tries to come out of COVID-19 and, and its production being shut down for several months. So, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying about them sort of playing on Trump's need to improve the U.S. economy, but but the Chinese economy needs a lot of help right now, too, and needs arguably the U.S. as much as uh, the U.S. needs it. Oh, the, 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 the Chinese think much more long-range than the U.S. does. Mm. Um, I mean, that's part of uh, the systems the, the, the two countries have. And the, China is much more willing to take a, a political or economic hit in the short term than the U.S. can. Uh, because, you know, President Trump is only guaranteed another, you know, seven, eight months in office. You know, President Xi is president for life. He doesn't have to get reelected. Right. Uh, now, that doesn't say he doesn't have political pressure internally, but it's nothing like President Trump is facing right now. And it's an unlevel playing field. Uh, and so, no, China can think a lot more long term than can the U.S. Steve, what will the next move be that we will see which direction this is going? If it, will it be if the Trump administration actually and the Commerce Department actually puts sanctions or introduces new tariffs? Is that the next line in the sand here? Well, the, the US, it's really the State Department now. The State Department has to certify under the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, which was passed last year in the Congress, um, that there is one country in two systems. And if there aren't one country, two systems between China and Hong Kong, and the Chinese government can abuse the human rights of Hong Kong officials, then everything is up in, in the air. It's not just additional tariffs. You know, you and I as U.S. citizens go to Hong Kong visa-free right now. That goes away potentially. Mm. Uh, and what happens to Hong Kong if you can't go there uh, visa-free as a business person? What happens if the tariffs get, get put on? What happens if you know you can be in Hong Kong and you can be extradited uh, to, to China, you know, to the mainland for something that you've done in Hong Kong? There is so much uncertainty in that relationship. Uh, it's not going to play out in the next month or two, but it's going to play out. It has to play out sooner rather than later. I would think President Trump wants to push this back till after the election um, before he takes any really significant hardline moves in response. Yeah, okay, we'll keep an eye on that from the business perspective, and let's let's talk politics now. Uh, presumptive Democratic uh, candidate Joe Biden. 
made an own goal yet again uh, this week on Friday on a talk radio show to that was aimed mostly at millennial uh, African-Americans, saying that uh, African-Americans ain't black, quote unquote, if they consider voting for Donald Trump over him, which, of course, immediately sent the Internet into a tailspin. Uh, crazy. It was an 18 minute interview. You know, he stressed his longstanding ties to the black community. Uh, and then he comes up with this with this comment. What is going on? Uh, what is going on? <laughs> well, I, and I think this is the real danger uh, for Joe Biden is that he's held to a double standard uh, and everybody holds him to a double standard. Then they hold Donald Trump saying that an African-American ain't black if he votes for Donald Trump. It is nothing like saying that neo-Nazis are good people. Mm, which is right. what Donald Trump yet it was breaking news when Joe Biden said this and he was forced to come out and apologize which he did what he said was unnecessary it was you could call it stupid uh, but it wasn't nearly what Donald Trump says but yet we're going to hold Joe Biden everybody is going to hold Joe Biden Democrats Republicans the media uh, to a higher standard than they hold Donald Trump and and you know what? This is a reality Joe Biden's going to have to deal with, and maybe he's going to have to be more careful. Maybe he's going to have to think not twice but three times before he <laughs> says something because he is going to be held to a different standard, and he better know it, and he better change the way he acts uh, if he wants to win in November. Well, there, there couldn't be probably a more sensitive community to try to explain the community too than a white man speaking to the black community in America about who's black enough or not black enough. It is just, it's, it's mind boggling that he would even have those comments come out of his mouth or even in his head, uh, let alone anything else. (laughs) And the thing he's got, the secret weapon, it's not just a secret weapon that he has on his side is Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, because Joe Biden is not a racist and Barack Obama and Michelle Obama will go out and they will say, we need him to win. He is with all of us, mm-hmm. the African-American, middle class, upper, whoever you are, Hispanic, Asian. And the Obama's legacy is at stake. If Donald Trump gets another term, then everything that, that Barack Obama and his administration were able to accomplish is really going to get decimated. And so I think there's you and I can talk about this today. I hope a week or two weeks from now we're still not talking about this, yeah. uh, and that and that and that Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, and others have 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 helped pivot back to what's important, which is the hundred thousand people who who are going to have died in the you know that we're going to hit that milestone in the U.S. in the next week, and it's going to be terrible. All right, thanks to Steve Oaken, the senior advisor, McClarty Associates, for coming on talking about uh, issues from Malaysia to China to the U.S. Appreciate it, Steve. Thank you, GBZ. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.